right. Um, <laughs> hello, everyone. I'm Amy Antonucci, and I'm here to welcome you to our True Tales Live Zoom show on October 25th, 2022. Thanks to all of you for watching and listening, and especially thanks to those here in our live online audience. Welcome. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories, stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us to bridge differences and build understanding and respect for each other. We are so happy to be here with you on Zoom, and we do have some suggestions for making the most of the online format. Since we believe storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, here is how you help us keep that going even when we are online. First of all, if you do keep your video on, you can have big physical reactions in order to connect with the rest of the audience and the tellers. In fact, um, let's practice one. So join me in cheering. Yay! Right? Excellent. Uh, you can also express your reactions in the chat box, which we will save and share with tellers later. You can also put questions that you have for the tellers in the chat, because after all the stories, if there's time, which there usually is, we will do some Q&A. Tonight, our theme is, oops, a sentiment we know everyone can relate to. We will hear stories from Tom Osberg, Joe Radner, and from me, Amy Antonucci, followed by Q&A with the tellers and then a short interview with Joe Radner by David Frainer. Pat Spaulding will be our MC tonight. Join me in welcoming her. Welcome, Pat. Dang it. I mean, hello. <laughs> I had a hard time unmuting. Um, okay, tuck the phone that I am. First off, I would like to introduce Amy Antonucci, our True Tales Live announcer. She has worked with this program since its inception in 2014. And when she's not telling stories and running storytelling workshops for TTL, she's tending her bees, poultry, goats, and gardens at her farm, Living Land Permaculture Homestead in Barrington, New Hampshire. From 2008, to 2015, Amy helped care for her aging father, as well as getting her small farm up and running. Whether working on a farm or helping a family member, there can be many oops moments. When, and when trying to do both, those moments can accumulate, despite one's best efforts to tend to everything that needs to be done. It can even be hard to figure out what those things are. As Amy found in her story, what we need. Let's welcome Amy. You know, maybe a road trip with my father is just what we need. It wasn't easy for me to get away since my partner Steve and I had a new small farm that needed our time and attention. We managed seven acres, tending to poultry, goats, beehives, planting and harvesting vegetables and new fruit trees and bushes. But this was a third Thanksgiving since my mother had died and my world had increasingly become about my father. We talked every single day 
And I regularly drove the hour and a half down to Boston to go with him to his doctor's appointments, to clean his house, to make sure he ate at least one good meal now and then. I didn't mind helping him. It was actually gratifying to feel capable and helpful to my family. But it was getting overwhelming managing my life and his. So for this holiday, I was insisting that he come up to New Hampshire and that I get something I needed out of the visit too. In his own home, he had routines to follow and tasks to do. Somewhere else though, he wasn't really sure what to do with himself. He didn't bring books or a laptop. He just looked to me instead to entertain him when he came to stay. Previously, Steve and I had tried to interest him in what we were doing outside. We took him for a walk around our woods. John, my father, the city boy, nervously said, how come there's all these trees, Amy? How can we see where we're going with all these trees? We showed him the newly planted gardens and orchards, to which he said, oh no, Amy, this is so much to tend to. And I answered, yes, Dad, and I'm a land tender. We tried to involve him in our work, having him carry firewood from Steve's pile of split pieces to me for stacking. He complied for a few rounds before wincing. Amy, these are so heavy. You gotta bring me a chair so I can just rest my eyes for a minute. My big idea this time was an off-farm day trip that we could both find either enjoyable or useful. Someplace far enough to have the feel of a real trip, but not a long, exhausting drive that would keep Steve and I out past evening chores. It needed a comfortable indoor setting for my father and to set me up to accomplish something from my to-do list. Hmm. What about Freeport, Maine and L.L. Bean's flagship store? My father had no interest in shopping, but there were exhibits in the store and we could go out to dinner. I also do not like to shop, but I really needed some things. And I was determined to get something out of this trip for myself. So we left after farm chores and lunch. When we arrived in Freeport, I was surprised by all the traffic. I had been so focused on my father and his visit, it just totally slipped my mind that the weekend after Thanksgiving was a major shopping event. I found crowds of people really tiring. But my father's motto was, the more the merrier. So maybe it would be okay. Inside L.L. Bean, it was bustling. I hoped the crowd, lights, and excitement would capture my dad's attention. He remarked on how busy it was, but he was only vaguely interested in the displays. It's like huge stuffed moose and indoor pond with actual fish in it, big murals of outdoor scenes. The flagship store campus, as they call it, is 220,000 square feet, open 24 hours every day. It's like a whole world in there. It's easy for me to get overwhelmed in such commotion, but I had a list. One, pants for me. Two, wool socks for me. Three, bright orange vests to wear in our woods during hunting season. Steve headed off to look for the orange vests. My father followed me into the women's section, looking over my shoulder, mostly indifferent, but occasionally commenting. Hey, that looks nice, Amy. Or do you think you really need that? 
When it was time for me to try on the clothing, I led him to a bench. Dad, sit here, okay? I'm just gonna go into the changing room for a minute. When I got back, he was dutifully still seated, dozing on the bench. He was bored. I just felt too guilty to keep on with my list. Instead, I let him downstairs, found Steve and asked, how about we look for a restaurant and have some dinner? My father answered, I could eat. Steve concurred. They both had good appetites. We headed outside along the busy streets lined with businesses, but not as many of them as I'd expected were actually restaurants. How had I neglected to plan for our meal knowing we'd be there at dinner time? I was trying so hard to be on top of everything, but somehow I just kept missing important, obvious issues. Nowadays, my father walked slowly, taking very small steps. Was he in pain? Is he having a balance problem? I'm fine, Amy, I'm fine. What's with you, Harian? What's your rush? Steve, stick with my father. I'll check out the side streets. I would rush off, look at all the options, and rush back to them. It took a few of these frantic side trips before I actually found something. The Mediterranean Grill. Sit down dining, not too fancy, which maybe my Sicilian father would appreciate, even if I didn't think I'd really love the food. We climbed a long staircase, which my father took one excruciatingly slow step at a time. Then we were inside. It was warm, it smelled good, and we were immediately seated and had our order taken. It was just what we needed. I took in and let out deep breath and tried to regroup. Dad, you don't seem interested in what's going on in the store. Oh, it's all right, Amy, I, I don't mind it in there. Yeah, but there's nothing you need to buy and the wildlife exhibits, they just don't seem to interest you that much, right? Yeah, I'd say that's about true. He paused, but I think they had a place to get some coffee. My father was always up for a cup of coffee. Yeah? Okay then, how about this? On our way back, I'll set you up at that place and Steve and I will quickly finish our shopping. When we're done, I'll get you and we'll head home. Sure, okay, whatever you wanna do, Amy. I got a nod, from, a nod from Steve. The mission was agreed on, we were back on track. We made the plodding walk back to the store and found the entrance that opened into the cafe. Okay, Dad, this is it. Can you get your coffee and just sit right there? I pointed. He nodded. I need about 20 minutes, 30 at most. Then I'll be back to you right here, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, Amy. Note of enough already was creeping into his voice. Steve had gone, and now I strode off, trying to refocus on my task, shake my concern over my father, and do what I needed to do for myself. I had stopped enjoying shopping many years before, and this latest trend in women's pants to sit like super low on the waist, I did not like and made it worse. For a while, Goodwill served me great with older styles that were still on their racks, but I'd been striking out lately. I'd been told that L.L. Bean still carried the uh, old-fashioned design, but trying to pick them out from the catalog just wasn't working. This was my chance to figure it out, buy like 10 pairs, and just move on with my life. I investigated a rack, 
sought advice from a clerk who knew just what I was talking about and headed to the section she suggested. But I was brought up short when suddenly I heard my name broadcast through this door. It was on the PA address system, the public address system, and I froze to listen. Amy Antonucci, could you please come to the information desk to meet your father? Amy Antonucci, please meet your father at the information desk. I felt my face flush and I shrank in on myself, overwhelmed with embarrassment. I'd been a shy kid. I'd mostly outgrown that, but I could feel her now. The kind of kid who struggled to make herself raise her hand in class, who didn't want to be the center of attention, who might forgo winning a game so I didn't have to speak up. That hit me now, making me want to hide behind something. But in the next moment, all my worries about my father rushed back, aging me a few decades. I straightened up and I began moving as fast as I could in the crowded aisles to get to him. He was pacing in front of the desk, arms folded on his chest, his expression a mix of anger and pain. I raced to him, are you okay? What happened? What's wrong? Well, you see, Amy, I sort of got lost. But, but you were just gonna stay right there in the cafe, sitting, drinking your coffee. How could you get lost? Well, you see, I had to go to the bathroom. They told me where to go and I found it. But this goddamn place is so big. How could I figure out which way to go back to get there to that coffee place? Questions filled my mind. How did he navigate to get to the bathroom? If he could do that, couldn't he ask for directions back? Could he really not have waited the 10 months more that I needed? Did he just get confused and anxious and decide to demand my return? Asking these didn't seem likely to help. So instead, I just said, I think we're done here. Let's find Steve and head home. Okay, that sounds good, Amy. Let's go ahead and do that then. We found Steve paying for the orange vests. At least we had one success to check off our list. We made the long, slow walk back to the car. Fortunately, Steve was driving because both my father and I were asleep before we made it out of Freeport. Maybe a good long nap was what we both needed most after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely think that you both needed a good long nap. I, I almost need one now. That um, multitasking, oh, the story just, it overwhelmed me just hearing about it and, you know, going to, LL beans and the fish and the moose and the people. And I think I'd have a hard time finding my way back from the bathroom. I got to say, I'm kind of sympathetic with your dad on that one. <laughs> oh, thanks, Amy. <laughs> All righty. Um, now we're going to introduce our next storyteller, Tom Osberg, who lives in Wyndham, New Hampshire. He grew up in New Jer Jersey, married his adventurous wife, Colleen, in 1977, and the two moved north to raise five kids on not much more than dreams and stories of never taking the same trail twice. They both canoe, camp, and hike whenever they can, 
although Tom is a software developer, his real love is the study of the art of getting lost. That's quite an art, both in dreams and in the woods. In most of Tom's stories, he shares the beauty of and wonder of venturing through nature and the wilderness. Along the way, he has stumbled into funny mistakes, close calls, or misadventures, some of which may require a little forgiveness. In tonight's story, Tom will take us back to the early years of his marriage when, in the process of getting to know each other and trying to be supportive, mistakes were made. Some mistakes affected the dreams of the other, and forgiveness was needed in order to stay strong together. Let's hear Tom elaborate in his story, Oops, dear, can you get a ride home? Come on up, Tom. Okay. Thank you very much, Pat. So back in 1977, uh, we didn't have cell phones, but I called the emergency room. I called and the head nurse picked up and I asked if I could speak to my wife. Uh, this wasn't good. It was early marriage. I, I wanted to contribute to help out, to show her how much I loved. And it was being tough. It, Colleen had started working in the emergency room for our first few months of marriage. I was still in college. I was in my second year of a senior year of college. Um, and Colleen was uh, supporting the household. So when she got on the line, I said, uh, dear, could you find a ride home? We're still working on your car. Sorry. We're the long pause after that single word made me assume that there was some implications in that. And I should carefully think of my answer. Well, yes, uh, Rex is over for the night. I invited him and um, we're working on the car. Colleen knows Rex. Rex was my best friend in college. And before marriage, Rex was my semi-roomie. He, he was in my dorm more than he was in his. In fact, he was in my dorm so much, my roommate moved out. He was a fun kind of guy. He brought laughter and excitement to every room he came into. He was the kind of guy he would come in, he would kick open the door, beat his chest and say, I'm as happy as a pig eating fresh slop. We'd, we'd camp every weekend and we, had, we would go camping in the winter and the summer. And in the, after a winter hike, we'd come back and he would say, the snow was so deep, it was as high as a giraffe's armpit. He was incredibly smart and incredibly smart people are scary when they get bored. We'd get into trouble. Like the night he thought of, there was an, a, a security Jeep at the, at the campus idling to keep themselves warm. And we took a bunch of empty garbage cans and tied them to the rear bumper. And then we ran along in front and they chased us and the noise just, everyone woke up. It was fun. And then we caught thousands of little peepers in the spring and let them loose in the men's showers. 
And he was a genius, but he was also a really good mechanic. So after class, I, I said, I'm going to work on Colleen's car. And he offered to help. I said, sure, that'd be great. So once we had changed the oil and gapped the spark plugs and, and gotten it all ready and back together, he, he leaned over the engine and said, you know, your carburetor needs an adjustment. Do you know how carburetors work? And I said, no, not really. But I would like to know because if I could help Colleen and keep her car in good shape, that would be great. So one thing led to another and time got away. And unfortunately, that time was when I was supposed to pick Colleen up. So that led to the phone call and her friend dropped her off. And when she walked into the kitchen and saw a bed sheet across the kitchen table with carburetor parts on it, little screws, little springs, little little uh, cups for gas and hoses and clamps. She held her head and said, oh, my car, my favorite car. It was her favorite car. She had bought this car with the money from her first job. And this was the car that gave her freedom from home and the car her uncle helped maintain. It was a copper penny colored mercury bobcat, a classic, a little hatchback. We used to ride around with no direction in mind in her car, and she'd come up every other weekend to visit me at college. We'd read chapters of books just sitting in the car, and we'd stop and watch sunsets from it. Well, Rex and I had all night, it took all night to get the car back together, and and Colleen went off with her friend again to work, and I needed to drive Rex back to school and and give him get the car a test drive. Well, now I felt like I knew all about carburetors. We'd taken it apart, put it back together again. The gas-air ratio, the clamps, the floats, it all made so much sense. On the way back, on a straight stretch of road, my newly attuned ear could tell that there was hesitation when accelerating. I knew that the XYZ screw just needed a little bit of tuning down. So I pulled over onto the dirt on the side and got my tools out, popped the hood, took the carburetor apart, turned that screw a little bit, got back in and it was better than ever. And, and then after picking up the groceries and accelerating, I could tell that little bit of hesitation was the float valve. So I popped the hood, took top of the screw, the carburetor off and the hoses and bent that float just a little bit and screwed it all back together again, popped the hood down and got back in. And boy, it was really moving nice now. Colleen was going to be so happy with her lovely car. So I decided to take the long way around back towards the apartment and Around the corner, there were some signs for construction and the pavement changed to rough, dirted, rutted dirt road. And there was a, a signalman there and a few cars had already gone through and and my car and and a white dirty van were the last ones in line. And I probably hit that first bump a little hard and and gassed it. And and as I went along, it seemed like the car was hesitating again. I'm looking at the barriers on the side and a rock wall on the other side and it's a single lane dirt road. This would not be a good place to break down. Looking in my rear view mirror, I could see that the 
the white van behind me must be having trouble too, because he was going up and down on the bumps and his headlights were going on and off and on and off. And I thought, oh gosh, that poor guy. And so I downshifted and I pushed on the gas and nothing happened. So, so now I, I looked and I could hear beeping behind me and I'm like, what's wrong with that guy? He's having real trouble. Lights are going on and now he's beeping his horn. So I downshifted and upshifted and I'm pumping on the gas. And and now he's waving out the window and the lights are going and the beeping and he's waving out the window. Finally, I got out of the one lane road and pulled to the side and going to let him go by. And I stepped on the brakes. There were no brakes. There's no brakes on the car. So I pulled to the side and run it up against the stone wall and and pulled on the emergency brake. And all of a sudden, all this smoke and heat was coming out of the, the tire wells and the grill on the front of the car. And I run out. I'm coming to the front of the car. And I could hear this guy coming up behind me. He's, he's yelling. And <laughs> I throw the, the hood up. And it just kind of comes up and folds over. And flames shoot up into the air. And I fall back on my butt. And he sprays the heck out of it with a fire extinguisher. And some of the workers come over and throw dirt on for good measure. It turns out I had forgotten this one little clamp on the gas hose. And when I hit that bump, the hose must have come off. And it sprayed a little bit of gas on the hot engine. And that's when the guy flashed his lights because he saw smoke. And then I pumped and then he saw flashes. So he started beeping. So I pumped more gas on the fire, which then melted the hoses and the electrical and the gas brakes. Oh, so after the police got me home and I sat down and I called the emergency room and they seemed to know. And I said, Kyle, your car needs a little more work. Can you get a ride home? But she said, are you okay? And I said, I love you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Good final reaction there, Tom. I had something... Similar happened before the end of my marriage, and um, the the question um, the question I got when I told my now ex um, that I had a pretty significant problem with the car was, uh, no, that I bumped into. Yeah. Well, anyways, he asked if the car was all right first. Oh. <laughs> he never really got around to asking about me. That was beginning of the end. So you have a very good marriage. <laughs> yes. Of the angst, um, have you become a better mechanic by any chance? Or are you still working on that? Or maybe Colleen just doesn't even let you touch it? Yeah, we, we have a good mechanic we go to. <laughs> yeah, all I know about um, carburetors is um, if you can get them replaced by a fuel injector, which works on boats, I'm not sure about cars, do that. Yeah, carburetors are really complicated. That's what I learned. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for that story, Tom. In spite of the angst. <laughs> yeah, no problem. 
<laughs> by two in a row. Hopefully, Joe will calm us down. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Joe Radner. And she has been studying, teaching, telling, and collecting stories most of her life and has performed from Maine to Hawaii to Finland. That's quite a trail. Although she tends to make stories about Northern New England, she also tells personal stories, unusual traditional folk tales, and her own modern tales and riffs on the classics. After a career at American University, Jo returned to her home in Maine as a freelance storyteller and oral historian. She is past president of the American Folklore Society and the National Storytelling Network. Before beginning her story tonight, she would like to ask us this question. Do you remember your first ever date? Think a moment. Was it wonderful? <laughs> she remembers hers as being complicated. Let's hear more in her story titled Eyebrows. <laughs> Come on up, Joe. Thank you so much. This is a delightful evening, and I'm happy to have heard two people I hadn't heard before. Thank you so much. When I was in seventh grade, all the girls were in love with Clay Davis on account of his extraordinary eyebrows. He had blonde hair that he combed back like that and dark, dramatic eyebrows that framed eyes that were as blue as the Caribbean. And if you looked into them, you could drown. I never looked. I was new in town. I was new in that school. I was new in any school that had boys. I had no idea what the popular girls were giggling about on the playground. In my spare time, I walked in the woods and I collected and studied salamanders. In fact, everything I knew about sex at that time, I had learned from salamanders. Well, fortunately, it turned out that in seventh grade, the boys and girls didn't have very much to do with each other, except on Wednesday nights. Every Wednesday night, every seventh grade mother drove her son or her daughter to the elementary school for Mr. Richard's ballroom dancing class. That's how long ago it was. It was always the same in the gymnasium, the boys sitting on chairs on one side of the gym, the girls on the other. Down at the end, Mr. Richards, deadpan piano player. And in the middle, the man himself, suave in black, shiny, shiny black patent leather shoes. First, he would demonstrate the steps. And then he'd choose a girl to demonstrate with him. He never picked me. Often he chose Judy Mason. And I thought that was weird because she was only about half as tall as he was, but didn't bother him. He just bent over and they'd twinkle together. And then it was our turn. At a signal from Mr. Richards, the boys would rise up in a phalanx and walk straight across the gym. The rule was you had to invite the girl exactly opposite you. We all got partners, and we made the best of it. Well, 
after a couple of months, I began to think I could handle seventh grade. And then in January, the class mothers announced that we were going to have our very first social dance. But that because it was a leap year, it was going to be a Sadie Hawkins dance. And that meant the girls invited the boys. Perfect. I didn't have to invite anybody. I didn't have to go. I was calm. The girls were twittering on the playground. I was calm. Until the Tuesday before the Saturday of the dance, when all of a sudden, at recess, I was surrounded by a platoon of the most popular girls. Hi. Hi. We hear you haven't invited anybody to the dance. We think you should invite Clay Davis because he likes you. Clay Davis has never said two words to me. That's because he likes you. I saw through them. None of them had had the courage to invite him, and I was their last hope of getting him to the dance. I wanted them to like me. And so I said yes. And that night when I made the most terrible phone call of my entire life and invited him, there was a long pause. I could imagine those eyebrows knitting together. And then he said, yes, thank you. I'd like to go. My mother and I will pick you up at seven o'clock. Saturday night at seven o'clock. I was in my room and I was ready. I was wearing my brand new poodle skirt, the height of fashion, green felt with knitted yarn poodles embroidered on it. I had curled my hair, never an easy job. And I was wearing tangy lipstick, which was, it was magical. You put it on and it didn't look as if you were wearing anything. And after a while, it turned a little bit red. So I was ready. And then I saw the headlights coming in the driveway. And I heard a knock on the door and I thought, oh, no. Maybe my parents don't know what to say. Because you see, in seventh grade health class, the boys and girls learned how to go on a date and what you should say and what your parents should say and all of that. But I forgot to tell my parents. So I heard the door open downstairs and I heard, good evening, Mr. Newland. My name is Clay Davis and I'm here to take Joe to the dance. And my father said, welcome Clay, come in and wait a minute, I'll tell her that you're here. He did know what to say. <laughs> so I, I came down the stairs very carefully in my new slippery soled shoes. And I opened the closet door and I got out my coat and I gave it to Clay and he helped me on with it. Then he opened the door for me and he opened the car door for me. And we sat in the back seat all the way to the school while his mother chattered to us so we didn't have to talk. In the gym, it was, it was sort of the same and sort of different. Um, all the boys sat on one side, all the girls sat on the other, but there were balloons and 
no Mr. Richards, which meant that the boys wouldn't have to invite the girls. And down at the end, no piano player. There was a record player. We were going to have real music. The first dance was a waltz. You're supposed to invite your date for the first dance. So I saw those blue eyes coming across the gym to me, and we danced. And then, of course, we went back to our own sides. And the second dance was a tango, my favorite. And I saw those blue eyes coming across again to me. And then they veered off, and he invited Judy Mason. That happened a lot that evening. In fact, they won the Lindy Hop contest as I sat there combing the poodles on my skirt. And finally, the evening came to an end. The last dance, you're supposed to dance the last dance with your date. It was a waltz. And we danced. And then he helped me on with my coat. And he opened the car door and I got in and we both sat in the back seat and Mrs. Davis said, how was the dance? Wonderful, wonderful. When I got back to my house indoors, my mother said, how was the dance? Wonderful. Oh, I'm so relieved. You know, <laughs> you're about a foot taller than Clay Davis. <laughs> when he helped you on with your coat, I almost brought him a stepladder. I didn't laugh. I didn't think it was funny. I did not want to think about how Clay and I had looked dancing together. I didn't want to realize that Judy Mason was probably the only girl in seventh grade who was shorter than Clay. I just wanted to go up to my room and hibernate like a salamander. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks for taking us there, Joe. <laughs> I, I think thanks. I, I remember I, you asked about, you know, remembering the very first date. And um, I didn't recall, but when you talked about the ballroom dance, I remember being very new and really awkward and not quite ready to understand what to do with boys. And I did go to one of those ballroom things. And then you get all the rules. All I really remember is the dress I wore. It was this blue shirtwaist dress with, um, you know, a tight waist. It's still, that was, that was a nice dress, but the rest I've just assigned to. <laughs> you are too young for poodle skirts, toots. Uh, not really. No, I mean, I think I was on the edge of them. No, I think I did have one. I'm not too young for poodle starts. Uh, <laughs> we need to bring it <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you, storytellers. Um, I hope that everybody has some questions because ne next up, you can uh, ask the storytellers what you want to hear more about. And Amy will help you find out. Yes, and Pat will, will back me up. And do go ahead and put any questions you come up with in the chat. 
I definitely have some to start off with, but they might not be the same as yours, let's just say. Because the first thing I want to do is ask Joe, are you still a fan of salamanders? Actually, yes. I know where to find all kinds of salamanders. I take my grandchildren to find salamanders. We make, uh, we make terraria. Sadly, though, when I was doing that as a child, my salamanders kept escaping from the tanks in my room. And every now and again, my mother would find desiccated salamanders under the bookcase when she cleaned the house. So there was a sad side to it, but they were fancy. Cool. Uh, by any chance, have you ever participated in one of those spring salamander crossing brigades? Do you know about that? Uh, I've always meant to, but I haven't. Yeah. Uh, there are some in our area, I know, but I live on a road on which no one drives, so I'd have to commute to find the salamanders endangered somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I was just learning about that recently. I want to join one next year. I love creepy crawlies. I'm not the only one. Tina, wave if you love creepy crawlies. Yay. Um, and then, of course, um, Joe, I, I'm sorry, Pat asks, Joe, what did salamanders teach you about sex? Well, I'm not sh not sure we should talk about that here, but <laughs> actually, they were magnificent. The, the salamanders that I mostly collected when I was a kid were in the pond behind our house, and they were red-spotted newts. And the male red-spotted newt has a beautiful plumed tail. And in breeding season, the the females are sort of stuffy and stodgy and they're shaped sort of like that you know they're they're just they're full of eggs and they have thin tails but the males think this is gorgeous and they come up to them and they wave those tails and frankly it's you know it's about as sexy as salamanders get that's great beautiful um i'm gonna watch for that <laughs> i'm impressed <laughs> um all right, let's see. We have some more questions. Um, okay, Kathy, let's stick with Joe for, for a little bit here um, while you're unmuted. Kathy wants to know if any other boys asked you to dance that night. I'm frankly, I mostly remember sitting combing the poodles on my skirt and I don't remember that. And then just the other day, I happened to be out visiting my grandchildren who are in the seventh and the ninth grades. And my grandson, ninth grade, had just been to a homecoming dance, his very first dance at his school in rural Massachusetts. And I said, well, what was it like? Did you dance? And he said, no, the boys didn't dance at all. We just hung out. And I suspect that that happened there. All right. Um, we're going to, I'm going to do one more for you, Joe, and then I have some for Tom. Um, so Sarah is, uh, is saying, I heard from the intro that you do oral histories. Are you still doing oral history? And if so, do you have a particular period of time or subject? I am interested in the everyday lives of ordinary people and how people find meaning in their lives. 
And sometimes I've, I've done a series of interviews for our local historical society to sort of illustrate ways of life in Lovell, Maine. Um, I've done a series of interviews of people who uh, were experienced a terrible wildfire that destroyed their town. I'm basically interested in how ordinary people make meaning in their lives and deal with crises and hard times. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah, we actually had someone years ago do a whole show on climate change stories. She went around interviewing people who were dealing with climate change um, and talked about um, how they were coping. It was, it sounds, you know, like a similar intent. That's beautiful. Great, thanks. Um, and I'll bet we'll hear more about that in the interview that David does. He gives a thumbs up. Okay, so when now- it gets, When it gets to your turn, I've got a question for you, so. Call oh, okay, good to know. I'm going to ask Tom a couple things, and I have a couple pictures to share. Um, first, Tom, Kathy is just wondering, how had the ER already heard about the car fire? I'm uh, not sure, but I, I assume that since the police drove me home, they are connected to the ER. So, and it was a small town, Gloucester. It seems like everything that happened in Gloucester the the nurses know everything and everyone in the town so got it and i have a question so um, let's see I'll, I'll preface the short question would be did colleen give you permission to tell the story the sort of longer question of that is is colleen okay with having her life out there through your storytelling and and you know bringing her in well, what's your impression of that? She she knew that there was a the car fire story, but she didn't know all of the car fire story. <laughs> so you can unmute Carl. <laughs> so there are parts that she heard for the first time tonight. <laughs> um, okay. she, I always I say I don't know how I have any children. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, she didn't know how bad it was, really. She she knew that the car was on fire, and she knew that when it got home, it was toast. <laughs> so, is that uh, car her favorite car? You know? Okay, and we're gonna. That's our cue to take a look at the car picture. Give me a sec to load that up. Part of why I ask, you know, at a certain point when I started telling dad's stories, I felt guilty and unsure. And I asked him and I, you know, I said, dad, you know, I'm telling stories about you to people. And he said, really, that's nice. And I said, they're not always <laughs> flattering. Exactly. He said, oh, they sure they are. Everyone should know about me, Amy. I'm interesting. <laughs> and I tell him, I'm going to tell him that you did this and that. And he just was like, great, attention, attention. He was not shy. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's see. Well, if this, I can, this story came together pretty quick in the end. So, um, and but it's I just the it. car. That's the car. Her favorite penny colored Mercury Bobcat. There are only a couple hundred of them made. So. Yeah, it, I don't know. She had it for maybe two years. 
And I think what's the other? Here's the other one. I'm gonna show. I think, I think Rex. I think I did have Rex come over, and he said afterwards. He said, uh, "Yeah, fixing this. It, it's like it's like a mouse stuck in a toaster." <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> quite the image. <laughs> now tell us about this picture. Yeah, so that's our first our first uh, little kid, our pewter cat. Our, when we were married, we lived in Gloucester, Massachusetts. That's a great picture. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, favorites. Very nice. Okay, so now, yeah, I guess I'm going to ask myself some questions. Um, actually, Joe, why don't you unmute and ask me a question? Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed at the way you reached out to do things with your father. And um, I understand his confusion because I wouldn't go near L.L. Beans and try to find the restroom. But um, I'd like to know whether you found more ways or whether you found more ways to be with him and more satisfactory ways to, uh, to relate to him. Because I know that's a, a kind of a tricky thing. And um, I'd like to hear about it. Well, sure. Um, yeah, I would say that, that yes, we made our way. Uh, part of, um, in those early years when he was still living at home, what we ended up finding out was, um, I actually have a, a whole story some of you have heard, was that one of the best ways for us to connect was around politics. Because unlike most people, the thing that my, the only thing my family didn't really fight about turned out to be politics. It was like the only thing we agreed on. Um, so we went to, I took him to talks and rallies and things like that. That worked quite well. Um, and then we sort of settled into going out to dinner, but not so far away as one really good thing to do. It, it got a little more complicated later as his memory, he did start to have memory issues and we kind of had to shift some of what was working. It was always changing. And I was always sort of, I think, feeling like I wasn't quite doing well enough, but um, I was always looking for something that would work even better, but but we've we've we made our way. I will definitely tell you, we never went back to Ella Bean. <laughs> Do you have pictures of him? Yes. Here we go with that. Um, so here he is at the homestead, raking <laughs> rocks in the driveway, <laughs> which again was one of those moments that I did not think through, <laughs> probably didn't last long. Um, this was more, what was more fun for him was this. Sitting down in a chair I brought, you can see the wood stacked in the background. And that's his cat actually that I ended up adopting when he went into assisted living. So he and Minnie sitting, watching us work. He was much happier with that. But I will say what even made him happier was to get to go inside and play chess. And there's some pictures of him doing things I tried to get him to like and things he actually liked. Thank you. Uh, 
Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, oh, Kathy wants to know if I ever found my high-waisted pants. And yes, I did finally figure it out. I went to the outlet in Concord and tried them on. That was much, much calmer. And I got lucky that they had them there. And, and yeah, I did buy like 10 pairs and I'm still wearing them now, I'm sure. And I don't have to go shopping. Um, Let's see. Okay, we are actually getting towards the end of our Q&A um, here. Let me just check if I missed anything. Gorgeous car. Pat can tell us more about salamander crossings. So keep that. Keep that. I will also just, just say that I um, kind of, I mean, maybe I am a different generation here, but lessons for going on a date, how to go on a date, and what your parents are supposed to say, my parents could use that. Oh, let me say that. I, I would have welcomed it and my parents sure as heck needed it. <laughs> I, I did not get anything like that. Did everyone else here who had like health class lessons on how to have a date, anyone? Oh, Joe, you had a special- You have to be of a certain age. <sighs> there used to be rules. It was so boring. But again, it gave you things to break. Yeah. It's funny. Sometimes rules seem oppressive. Sometimes they seem extremely helpful. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, yes, and I do need to move us along here. So what's going to happen next, folks? Um, I'm going to tell you a few things about the show and what's coming up next and such. Then we have our mini break dance party. You have to stay for that. That's so fun. And then... David is going to interview Joe. So we have uh, about 20 minutes more of really great stuff coming. And it does start with me telling you some, some stuff here. So here I go. First of all, just thank you so much for being with us tonight, especially our tellers and our live audience. You cannot, we cannot even tell you how happy we are when you come and you join us. We just are so grateful. So we are soon to move to our after story conversation, but let me tell you that our next True Tales Live Zoom show is on Tuesday, November 29th, 7 p.m. The theme is Silver Linings. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to find the link to register to be in the audience or to, to come. We still have space for tellers for many upcoming shows. Our November 29th Silver Linings and December 27th Winter's Coming Zoom shows each have a space or two. And the dates and themes for 2023 are now posted on our website. Here's a quick preview. January 31 Zoom show has an open theme and our March 28th Zoom show will be about social change, also known as our annual activism show. We also encourage you to attend one of our monthly Zoom workshops, usually on the first Tuesday of the month from 7 to 8.30. The next one is, however, on the second Tuesday of November the 8th. Contact Contact us at info at truetaleslivenh.org to become a teller and to find out more and see truetaleslivenh.org for links to register for the workshops as well as the shows. 
While we continue to, will continue to offer our programs for free, the truth is that we do have expenses we need to meet in order to keep this going. And if you are able to contribute, we really gratefully welcome your support. You can either go to truthtaleslivenh.org and donate online, or you can contact us for an address to send checks to and for tax deductible options at info at truthtaleslivenh.org. Watch us on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. and anytime as video on demand or a podcast. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to easily access all of these options. Let's thank some of those who make this show possible. John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Benningfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, Tom Osberg, Tina Charpentier. I'm Amy Antonucci. And before we move to the backstory interview of Joe Radner by David Frainer, please join us for a minute, literally 60 seconds of movement and fun with our True Tales dance party. This is our um, Zoom created uh, born tradition. We have a great time with this and hope that you will have your video on and at least, you know, move a little while seated if you don't if or do what some of us do and get up and really do it you might want to switch to gallery so you can see everyone and john if you're ready do it <laughs> 